Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Sunday night. It's December 4th. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me. It's been a few days uh, since we last talked. We got a lot to get to, including uh, the debuts of Duke freshman Jason Tatum, Marquise Bold. We will talk about Duke in this podcast. Uh, Gonzaga got a win uh, Saturday over Arizona, kept the Zags perfect. We will talk about Gonzaga on this podcast. Baylor got a win over Xavier that kept the Bears undefeated, made their Already great resume, even better. We will talk about Baylor on this podcast, but we're going to start with what else? UCLA's win at Kentucky. UCLA's win inside Rupp Arena. They handled the Wildcats pretty much from start to finish on a scale of one, two. That's the craziest thing I've ever seen in basketball. How surprised were you that UCLA won at Rupp, Matt Norlander? Are you on board also with UCLA now? I've got the Bruins ranked second in the top 25 and one. They look final four good to me. How did they look to you? They looked like they were the right pick at plus eight, and shout out to the haters who mocked me for taking UCLA to cover when they outright hit that money line. You know what? It, went, it actually went like uh, up to, to plus ten and a half by tip off. And my so. brother said he saw it at eleven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it. there you go. And you know what? No reason to think that should have been otherwise because Calipari almost never loses in that building. This is only the fifth time ever. He's like a hundred and twenty-four and five or something insane like that. Hadn't lost. In over 1,400 days at Rupp since Baylor, who we'll get to, uh, last defeated uh, Cal in a non-conference game at Rupp. UCLA looked really good because, in part, Lonzo Ball wasn't that amazing. He actually had a pretty average first half. De'Aaron Fox uh, took advantage of him in a couple of spots. But overall, you saw why UCLA on offense should be considered right there with Indiana, North Carolina, Creighton, anyone that you want to throw in among elite offensive teams in the country. Duke, they're right there with them because they're relatively deep in their starting lineup, so to speak. This team's not going to go way deep or anything like that. Aaron Holiday off the bench could wind up being maybe the best six man in the sport. We'll see. He looked fantastic in the game. But when you watched, you saw everyone, you know, Ball, Thomas, Thomas Welsh. Um, everyone was taking it was almost like when they were just sending in like mini battalions and one person after next was able to have tremendous amounts of success and kind of keep Kentucky at arm's length. I mean, we don't talk about Isaac Hamilton at all, but he led the team in scoring that night and he leads the team in scoring period. Um, TJ leaf had his best game of his young college career, just a freshman Calipari cited him as the best player. It's time to take UCLA seriously in the broad national scope, GP, I think, because this win is the most impressive of any in college basketball so far this season. And that that might remain the case until we get to March because Kansas will be the only other team that I think would have a shot at picking off Kentucky at Rupp. And I, even as good as Kansas is, uh, I would obviously take Kentucky in that kind of game. Kentucky almost definitely will be favored in that game. And so if Kentucky is able to go on and be a, a one-seed type of team – how many other teams are going to drop a home game? You know, is, is anyone going to pick off Duke at Cameron? We talked on the last podcast about how that never happens. It almost never happens at Fog Allen. Kansas will be in the, in the running, and those are two of the toughest places to win in all of the sport. Will Villanova get picked off at home? That might be really tough as well uh, this year. So it's good for UCLA's resume, for their national reputation. Uh, certainly the sport gets a nice kick once the Bruins are really rolling here, and this is looking like a really talented team. And right now, you know, they're competing with the likes of Gonzaga and Oregon for the best team out West. So I am a believer. And I think that, you know, sitting right here, I, I would think that UCLA is setting itself up to a terrific season, you know, one, two or three seed. I, I don't see much of how they'll necessarily 
fall on their face, Parrish, and I'll wrap it up with this, just because I uh, really like Ball's ability. Um, he's able to throw guys open. Alford hits big shots. I just think their floor is pretty high, so they'll lose games, don't get me wrong, and they might put up a couple of stinkers, but in general, I, I like this team and its personnel to kind of be a top five to ten team throughout the season they're great offensively right now they get the number one effective field goal percentage in in the country they shot it well uh against kentucky from the perimeter but like not uncharacteristically they've been shooting it well um all year on the other hand uh kentucky was awful from beyond the arc and and but but also not uncharacteristically like kentucky is awful from beyond the arc and clearly they can be really good uh being terrible uh shooting the ball but um you know, I, I just I, I just worry if you're trying to win six games in an NCAA tournament, at least three of them against presumably high-caliber competition, you know, if you do one of these eight of 24s from three-point range, actually like that, you know, like or, you know, four of 20s, which they seem capable of, like that's a problem. I'll never understand how. I mean, I guess I understand how. Uh, but like year in and year out, it seems like there are basketball teams that are, so talented, but completely without shooters. And I know Malik Monk can shoot it a little bit, but um, I don't know if anybody else on the team can consistently make them. And that might be a, an issue for Kentucky going forward. Again, it it won't be the thing that prevents them from winning the SEC or even from getting a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. But could it be the thing that catches them in a single elimination tournament? Maybe. The most surprising thing was how you know UCLA sliced them up, but it wasn't just you know, they made a bunch of three-pointers. Like, they were just – they were getting lay, getting to the rim, getting layups, getting dunks. And, you know, that Kentucky team came in with, a, uh, I think, a top three defensive efficiency rating in, in the country and, and, and got sliced up pretty good. And that uh, – I think that says something about Kentucky, but it, to me it says a lot about UCLA. There wasn't anything fluky about that game, I guess is my point. I was surprised by the outcome, certainly surprised by the way it unfolded because I thought at some point um, – you know, they, Kentucky was just going to flip it, and then they, you know, they'd still win by double digits, or at least win comfortably. And it just never happened. They were never able to flip it on UCLA because they couldn't get the stops. And to me, that's uh, if I'm Steve Offord, if I'm a UCLA fan, I'm encouraged by that because you went into Rupp and you beat uh, the number one ranked team in America, and it wasn't because you got lucky. Like you, you, you lined up and beat them, and that's 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 impressive. Yeah, you're right. There, I was I was waiting for that huge Kentucky push to come. Never really did because UCLA was able to keep making shots, keep scoring. And I want to point out, by the way, that a lot of it was just really fluid half-court offense. It wasn't necessarily like it was a high-scoring game, and there were plenty of possessions, but it wasn't like up and down, up and down, up and down, up right. and down, which I thought it might be a little more than that. It wasn't, so that's really impressive for UCLA. A couple of things here. Calipari has said, you know, if this team isn't the number one defensive team in the country by the time we get to – late January or whatever, you know, this will be a letdown. There's no guarantee that'll be the case. Like, they're going to be a top 10 defensive team. There's a top five. I mean, that's that's a mortal lock in my opinion. But here's the thing. Like, there are a number of teams that are really good and running really cool offenses, you know, positionless stuff with Indiana. I can't emphasize how much I love Creighton at this point this year. And listeners, if you haven't read GP's uh, piece on Creighton from about a week and a half ago, even before they got to this point, I mean, they just, they got some really, really nice players. So, I think that Kentucky could very well hit a situation here where it's going to take, it's going to play these kind of teams in neutral court environments, by the way, like it's impressive that you did that at Rupp. I mean, that's was really, really showing something that I think people need to take seriously when it comes to UCLA. But 
with Kentucky's defense, as I do think it will get better overall, what you're saying is right. Because if it, if it goes up against an offense that can move the ball well, shoot from three well, and Kentucky can't – I mean, it can't rely on Malik Monk to just say, watch out, dudes, I'm going to hit eight threes in a game. He's capable of that, but not every single night, and it can't just be him. So there was some – there were some things here with Kentucky getting exposed to a certain extent. Um, I'm not tremendously concerned. They're still by far the best team in the SEC overall. To me, it was more about UCLA's win and how it established really kind of a, a comeback performance for that program, not quite on the level or gravity that uh, Watford's three for Indiana some years ago at home against Kentucky brought that uh, program back. But this was certainly a, a huge moment on a national stage, the first game on uh, CBS in general this season. So inspired by UCLA, Kentucky, some room to grow. Um, I'm sure practices haven't been fun, but they'll be okay. I mean, I, I still don't think that they're going to lose more than, you know, five games total at worst-case scenario by, by the time we get to Selection Sunday for UK. But uh, but I would say this was shocking. I don't think anyone saw it coming like this. I think if people thought UCLA was going to win uh, if it was even somehow manageable, that would have been done in the 70s, not in the 90s. Well, they might lose Kentucky two more like before Christmas because they've got North Carolina in the CBS Sports Classic out in Vegas. I'm going to be going to that. And then they've got at Louisville. So like they can be good, like legitimately good, like legit, legitimately good teams, great teams can lose those games. So mm-hmm. I, I won't be surprised if, if, if we look up and they've got three losses before Christmas. But how about this? On Selection Sunday, they've got like five. You know, like, like I think that's totally plausible. Right. They could have three before Christmas, but but on Selection Sunday, they still have only five because I do think they are mostly going to run through uh, run through the, the SEC. So that that result, UCLA winning at Kentucky, like really had me shake up the rankings because obviously Kentucky was number one. I moved uh, Villanova to number one. Uh, if only because they are the reigning champs, their preseason top four team. Um, they've looked the part so far this season. Like they don't have the resume that uh, even a Baylor has, but uh, they they look. You know, they they played the schedule that that Jay Wright put together, and they've handled that schedule brilliantly. And they do have a road win at Purdue, which is I think a little underappreciated. You know, to go to Purdue and win this early in the season, uh, mm-hmm. that's a that's a nice win. That's on the short list of, of best wins in America so far in this season. So I've got Villanova one, and then I went ahead and jumped UCLA all the way up to two. They've got two wins over uh, SEC teams that were picked first and third in the preseason. That's Kentucky and Texas A&M. Um, and they've got the best win, like you pointed out, of anybody this season. Like, And it might be that way forever. Like the best win anybody has all year uh, might be UCLA at Kentucky on December uh, 3rd. So then I've got Baylor at third. And what's interesting there is like, I would have never thought three weeks ago I'd have Baylor ranked third in the country. Um, but they just keep winning. And some of this is schedule-related. Like, their resume is awesome now because of, you know, they were in the battle for Atlantis and they happened to have a game against Xavier at home. Uh, they got Oregon shorthanded without Dylan Brooks, but whatever. I mean, I can nitpick it if you want me to, but at the end of the day, uh, at this moment, nobody's got better wins than Baylor, and, and they deserve uh, whatever ranking they get. That's the thing. I'm not ranking them number one. I had a, a few Baylor fans ask, you know, why? Why if, if you say we've got the best resume in the country, why not have us ring number one? Because I don't think those two things necessarily go together, especially in early December. Um, by the time we get to March, your resume is your resume. You are what your resume says you are. At least that's what I believe. The, the team with the best resume in March will absolutely be ranked number one, at least by me. But 
you know, uh, this time, you know, two days ago, Baylor had a better resume than Kentucky, but nobody was screaming Baylor should be ranked ahead of Kentucky. Uh, not everybody has had the same opportunities, and, 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 and they won't throughout the year. But, every, you know, it'll start. Everybody will have opportunities, basically, at some point. Maybe not to a conference schedule for some teams, but at some point to get quality wins like the ones Baylor already has. So I don't think just because you've got the best resume in, in early December that it means you're the best team in the country. I don't think Baylor's the best team in the country. But I, I say all that to say this. If some, you know, the AP poll comes out tomorrow and, and there are going to be voters who have Baylor number one, I got no issue with that. That will not be what my Politex column is dedicated to. If you want to rank Baylor number one right now, you can easily justify it. Agreed. And Baylor is undefeated with a small cluster of teams. So pop quiz, GP. And listeners, he did not know this was coming. So no cheating. Because Goodman actually tweeted this out earlier today. But I started working on an undefeated post, undefeated teams post. So one, do you know how many undefeated teams are, there are right now? Honestly, because I think I saw somebody tweeted earlier. It might have been Goodman. It might have been somebody. Eight. Is it eight? Is eight the number? It is not. It is 11. 11. Okay. So I don't know And how... And so we are 23 full days into the season. Uh, you know, how many how many undefeated teams do you think a year ago last season there were through 23 full days? I'm going to guess more. So I would say let's let's say 16, but I don't. I'm just guessing. Yeah, it was. So I thought it was way more. Uh, now remember last year we had all that nuttiness with the polls and all those ranked teams kept getting upset. Remember that a year ago it was just like ridiculous for the first three weeks, right? But I remember, I, I thought I remember like there were like a ton of undefeated teams. There was actually twelve, so we're about at the pace we were last year. Can you name me the undefeated teams? Okay, uh, Villanova. Yes. Uh, St. Mary's and Gonzaga. Correct. Uh, Baylor, of course, UCLA. Yep, yep. Um, Butler. That's six. Five more to go. Creighton. Yep, seven. Mm, Notre Dame. Oh, I didn't think you'd get that. That's right. That's I'm just eight. I'm trying to think of teams that I have in the top twenty-five and one. Um, Three more. South Carolina. I think you got that because you had to write about them on Sunday. Two. I, are the other or two one. are the other two ranked? Two more. Um, I don't want to give that to you. Um, USC. You swear you're not looking? I'm not looking, but I almost ranked them. I'm trying to think of teams that I almost ranked. Um, I almost ranked them, but then uh, Benny Bowright had an injury, so I don't have them ranked right now. So some other people do. Um, but USC is undefeated. And yep, that's and, ten. There's one more. I don't know. It is Jamie Dixon's TCU. Horn. It is, yeah, TCU. TCU, which is definitely an under other radar team. They might uh, well fall from the undefeated ranks on Wednesday. They've got a tricky game at SMU. No shame if they lose that. But yeah, we're at eleven right now. Um, as for your thoughts on Baylor, because uh, some of these teams are like I, I'm not totally sold on Notre Dame yet. Not sold on TCU, USC. I'm definitely a buyer on UCLA, Creighton, Gonzaga, St. Mary's. I've kind of believed in from the start. Baylor is interesting because. Their resume is so strong. Um, you can nitpick it, and it's fair. And by the way, they're going to be subject to some of that down the road because they're non-conference. While they've done well in it, they haven't uh, faced challenges in terms of road games. And when we get to it some you know, weeks and months down the road, um, I'll be interested to see how Baylor season uh, goes along because um, I think they'll probably take a couple of losses. I mean, the Big 12 overall right now is looking pretty strong. 
I would, if anyone wanted to rank Baylor number one right now, I wouldn't have an issue with it based on that they would have the strongest resume, but your approach is fine. At the very worst, Baylor, I would, if you put them lower than fifth, um, I don't think there's any logical reason. So, at GP, for me, for pull attacks on Monday, just check and see if anyone's got Baylor like seven, eight, nine, ten. You might want to pull attack them because there's really no case against that right now. Um, go ahead. If you wanted to nitpick Baylor, because we said we could, here's the way you would do it. You'd say they played Oregon at home, no Dylan Brooks. So, like, put an asterisk beside that. Yeah, they beat VCU on a neutral, and that looked great at the time, but VCU just lost to Illinois. I mean, lost a neutral to Illinois. So, how good is VCU really? They beat Michigan State, but how good is Michigan State really? Um, yeah, they beat Louisville. That's great. But they were down 32 to 10 in that game. And it just, like, you could play that game, you know, from that point, 32 10. With like 24 minutes to go, that's what it was. 32-10 with 24 minutes to go, play it again 100 times. They'd never win that one again. They won at the time they had to, so whatever. But like they were down 32-10. to 10. And uh, yeah, then they beat Xavier, but they get Xavier at home. And here's the thing. Xavier hasn't been good this year. Xavier's been undefeated. Xavier's undefeated. They haven't been good. They were in a overtime game with Missouri. Is that right? Overtime with Missouri. Um, yeah, they got pushed. And uh, a one-possession 84-81 game with Lehigh. Um, you know, they, 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 they were ranked high in the preseason. They haven't lost. So they continue to be ranked high until but, the Baylor, right. they, they were undefeated until the Baylor. Right. Knocked them from and, and then, and then, and so they played one top 35 Kimpon team and they got, and I know it was like a, a close game in the final 10 minutes, but they lost by 15. Um, so they played one top 35 Kimpon team. They lost it by 15. They're now 18th at Kimpon. They're now, I think 23rd or 24th in the Sagarin ratings. Like, I, so I dropped them pretty significantly, and I even had to go back into the top 25 one in post, uh, top 25 in one post and explain why, just because it's easy to explain why and you know, rather than argue with people on Twitter nonstop. Um, plus, you get all those additional page views because people come back into it a second time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't, know how good, I don't know how good Xavier is. Doesn't mean they can't be great, but they haven't. That's, they, according to all the – ways in which we evaluate basketball teams they haven't been great this year they've only lost once but they they haven't been great so if you wanted to pick apart Baylor that's the way to do it nitpick them a little bit but like I'm not interested in nitpicking them a little bit like I think the Baylor story is 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 one of the best stories in college basketball right now and here's why because you've got this coach in Scott Drew who used to have a reputation, fair or unfair, I'm not interested in arguing it, used to have a reputation as being a guy who would get high-level recruits and then underachieve with them. And now he's got zero top 50 recruits, and he's got an undefeated team that's got, you know, four quality wins and is, is going to be, should be ranked in the top five of the AP poll come Monday afternoon. That's a great story. So I'm not interested in nitpicking it, um, but if you wanted to, that's the way you would do it. Your point on Xavier uh, could prove prescient. They do have a somewhat tough game on the road against Colorado this week, too. That's on Wednesday. So there could be a case if they lose that game. Where do you have Xavier in the rankings right now, GP? 18th. 18th. I mean, depending on how other teams do. I mean, could it be justifiable to drop them? I wouldn't, even unless they got, like, just spanked. But um, there could be something there um, overall. I would agree. This is uh, the worst part about doing rankings um, is that I get emotionally invested with them. So, like, here's the deal. 
like it's so funny too. By the way, I post. By the way, these are daily rankings. Daily rankings. <laughs> I get so I get emotionally invested in them, and so I, I I posted this morning, and immediately like you know Xavier fans are like, "Ooh, sounds like somebody's biased." Like I like I'd be biased against Xavier. Like I I I like like Chris Mack. I like on a personal level. Like we, one of the cool, honestly, like yes, one of the coolest in terms of just off court stuff. One of the coolest coaches in the game. Okay. Right. All right. Yeah. Okay. So like, I like Luke. I like I like the whole staff. All right. I love Xavier. I love the story. I love everything about Xavier. There's nothing biased about me with Xavier. Okay. But then, but then their fans start calling you an idiot for ranking them for dropping them to 18 and all this stuff. So then you know what happens? I end up wanting them to go lose at Colorado. I'm like, go lose at Colorado now so these fans will shut up. But I don't really want Chris Mack to lose a game. I like Chris Mack. <laughs> so, it's, I hear so it like puts you in a weird spot where you start rooting for the rankings and against fan bases, and then you have to like sort of snap out of it and go, why would I be rooting against Chris Mack? That doesn't make any sense. So uh, Xavier fans, you drive me a little crazy earlier today, but I'm not rooting against you Musketeers. I like your Musketeers. Not to say that I don't like Colorado as well. I like everybody. That's not true. I don't like everybody, but I like – I like most, and and Xavier is certainly on the list of of, of schools and staffs, and uh, I I enjoy that group. Um, you mentioned Gonzaga and St. Mary's earlier. I have them both ranked in the top ten. I have St. Mary's ahead of Gonzaga. I have St. Mary's eight. I have Gonzaga nine, and this irritates Gonzaga. Fa- same deal. Now I'm like waiting for Gonzaga to lose so I can get these Gonzaga fans to shut up. And I love Mark Few to death. If my sons ever grew up to be Division One basketball players, which is almost certainly not going to happen, uh, like Mark would be on the short list of, of men who I would like them to play for. Um, but these Gonzaga fans, they they don't mind me having Gonzaga. Rent. They just can't. They can't deal with me having St. Mary's ahead of Gonzaga. That's uh, totally justifiable at this point. Oh, well, it's justifiable on a couple different levels. One is. First off, I had St. Mary's ahead of Gonzaga in the preseason. And, and we could – like, I'm not even saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying I had them there from the start, and St. Mary's has done nothing to deserve to not be in that position, uh, you know, now. You know, they, they, they beat Dayton at Dayton. They uh, just uh, they, they just beat uh, Stanford at Stanford. Yes, that's, that's it. And, right now, yeah. St. Mary's is undefeated, has two road wins. Gonzaga yeah. has no road wins. Well, like, so it's totally justifiable. Okay, so I've had St. Mary's ahead of Gonzaga the whole time, so I still have St. Mary's ahead of Gonzaga. Like, why, would, why wouldn't I? Gonzaga's been, been really impressive too, but so was St. Mary's. Beyond that, here's the thing. You know, St. Mary's is, is ahead in all the computer ratings. Like, and I'm not saying that means anything. Or I don't, well, I'm not saying that means everything. Like, you don't have to have St. Mary's ahead of Gonzaga because they're ahead of them in Ken Palm. Like, you can go contrary to that if you want. I'm just saying to – and I, I should never talk about fan bases in generalities like this. It's not all Gonzaga fans. It's just some. Um, but the, the idea that it's – they think it's crazy that you could have St. Mary's ahead of them. And there's really nothing crazy about it at all, especially if I've had Gonzaga behind St. Mary's from the start. Either way, why not look big picture? Two West Coast Conference teams in the top ten? Celebrate that. Stop, stop being mad. Celebrate it. Has it ever happened before? I don't, uh, I don't think so. I mean, St. Mary's had a couple of really Well, I don't, good, I don't think St. Mary's has ever been rated, rated this highly. The top ten. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if they've ever gotten there. I mean, Gonzaga, listen, Gonzaga's 8-0. Yeah. Um, they have a win over a San Diego State team who the jury is very much out on. Oh, okay. and by the way, in that game, San Diego State like didn't play anybody, right? Like, yeah, they're missing right. key so, pieces, and San Diego State just lost to Loyola Chicago. So, yeah, exactly. So that's problematic. Now the win over Florida is nice because Florida is actually looking better. I'll see Florida in person on Tuesday night at the Garden against Duke. 
uh, a good just let's see what they have on a national stage for Florida. But they've looked good so far. Um, nice win over an Iowa State team. That's going to be a tournament team and should be a top four team in the Big 12, in my opinion. So that's good. And obviously the win over Arizona, who still, Alonzo Trier apparently traveled to the game, did not play, has not played the season. Um, if you watch the game, Gonzaga looked pretty good. Arizona just kind of lingered and lingered. But I never... In watching most of that game, I never felt that Arizona had any chance at winning the game. I never felt it was really threatening. Like, it just looked like Gonzaga had the game. They played well. Uh, Karnowski was terrific, as he's been. And Zach Collins is looking awesome. Another freshman big man. They've got two tremendous seven-foot dudes. Karnowski is, honestly, he feels like the biggest human in the sport. Um, Nigel Williams-Goss has been very, very good. So the team overall, plenty to be excited about. I think your point is dead on, man. It's really awesome that the West Coast Conference, you don't get this in college football. And I'm not saying that's better or worse. I'm just saying you don't get this, okay? You do not have seasons in college football where two MAC teams or two Fun Belt teams are, are in the top 10. The West Coast Conference right now has two legitimate top 10 teams. And if they continue at this pace, they will be in, putting themselves in a great position to earn really, really good seeds, which would be great for West Coast ball overall. But certainly that league. And I just want to add one more thing with Gonzaga. Their schedule, it's always got some interesting teams on it, but the way that everything fell with home and home series this year, few did not schedule one true road game out of conference, which is rare for him. Now, he plays Tennessee in a couple of weeks in Nashville, but it's not a true road game. So, he, you know, the committee will look at that, and he'll get credit for that if they can win in the state of Tennessee. They'll get, they'll get their props for it. But it's been good that they've been able to start this strong against some quality teams because they would have had maybe a little bit of less room uh, when they came to West Coast Conference play aside from St. Mary's and maybe BYU, who, by the way, BYU every year, they've always got such fun talent, but they always should be better. I don't get it. Um, we'll see if they can rally and make it really a true three-horse race in that league once we get to league play. But USC beat them in BYU over the weekend, so now they're 5-3. and three. Point is, Gonzaga's good. St. Mary's is worth being ranked ahead of them. And they've got some interesting tests coming up, but I just can't wait for those two teams to meet come league play. Yeah, just so we're clear, if you have Gonzaga rated ahead of St. Mary's, I don't have a problem with that. It's not crazy, but it's also not crazy to have St. Mary's ahead of Gonzaga. To your point about the resume, the San Diego State win is like, A, San Diego State was really shorthanded. And I'm not trying to nitpick Gonzaga. I'm just saying, like, if you want to break it down, this is the way you do it. Uh, San Diego State win, like, San Diego State is, like, they were shorthanded, and now they might not just be very good. Like, it's a, they're outside of the top 50 at Ken Palm, San Diego State is. Um, the Florida win, that's a good win. I think Florida's pretty good, probably going to be the second-best team in the SEC. That, that win's going to hold up. Iowa State win, good, good win. But, like, Iowa State just lost at home to Cincinnati. And Cincinnati they did. I think it'll hold up, but I know. I know. Yet. It's maybe not, might not be as strong as we thought. And then Arizona is just, like, it's, it's, it's a big name, but they're not very good. You know, like they, they and no fault of anybody's other than, I mean, it, it might be Alonzo Trier's fault on some level, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like it's just unfortunate injuries. You know, they, uh, they lose their best recruit, um, to, you know, to where did he go play? Australia. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, it's just like this has been a, a, a rough deck of cards for Sean Miller. The idea that he's got him respectable is pretty impressive, but that, that's not, that went over Arizona isn't like beating, um, last year's Arizona team, or two years ago Arizona's team. This is a, this is going to be an in between year for Sean Miller. Uh, I'm afraid. Either way, like Gonzaga, St. Mary's, both undefeated, and both in the top ten. Uh, those 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 league games are going to be uh, terrific. Before we get out of here, um, 
you did mention you're going to be at the Garden on Tuesday night. It is uh, Duke in Florida. And you're going to get to see Jason Tatum and Marquise Bolden in uniform uh, because they were in uniform on Saturday. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know that I thought they were going to be back for Maine. I thought they might be back for Florida. But I didn't think they, they 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 were going to be ready to go on Saturday. So that's going to be fun. You'll get an up-close look at them. You know, that's two possible lottery picks, including Tatum, who is, you know, a top-five pick, according to, to most people. Baylor's, I mean, uh, Duke, Duke is still not whole, uh, but they're getting closer. Yeah. Um, by the way, real quick, so there's a doubleheader at the Garden. So the Purdue-Arizona State's the first one. Arizona State, there's not much there, but I am interested to see uh, Purdue just in general. Um, they're they have maybe the two best losses. <laughs> I mean, their, their losses are against Villanova and Louisville on the road. So, you know, those are two top ten teams. Generally speaking, Purdue should be able to handle Arizona State. And then it's Florida Duke. Um, Florida's coach, his father is the athletic director at Duke, right. by the way. So just a little bit of a minor storyline there. I did use on the podcast last week, I thought if you were going to bring Tatum back, you should open. You should bring him back against Maine. And that's just what they did. I didn't think Bolden would come back in the same game. They got a very Belichickian uh, operation going on there with their injuries and Krzyzewski. But, hey, um, there he goes, and, and they're on the floor. Duke does have the number one overall offense on Ken Palm right now. Um, Tatum, listen, once he's really starts getting going, it's going to be really interesting because Luke Kennard is bawling out of his freaking mind right now, and Luke Kennard has been better than Grayson Allen this year. It's kind of indisputable at this point. He has been fantastic for Duke on the whole. And having a breakoff sophomore year, which I thought that he would have, by the way, but I thought it would all be relative. Like, I thought Grayson Allen would, would firmly, and maybe he still will, but establish himself in the National Player of the Year picture. And then you'd have really nice seasons out of everyone else. And in that mix, it would be like, oh, by the way, you know, once every six games, Luke Kennard's going to take over and be responsible for a Duke win. Right now, he's been huge. Jefferson, obviously, has been fantastic overall. They've gotten... Tons out of Frank Jackson, I think more than the staff might have even expected at this point in the season. He's done, in terms of like taking on a load and producing, him and Nick Ward, two totally different players, but Nick Ward at Michigan State. Michigan State's having issues, but if you watch their games, like Nick Ward is doing awesome. Bridges is the standout freshman. He gets all the headlines, rightfully so, but Ward is like adapting really, really quickly. Jackson's done a lot of that as well. We'll be interested to see him, because I would think Jackson will eventually, you know, he'll be nudged back to the bench once they're uh, full strength, then you'll kind of have probably Grayson or Luke, who neither of whom, by the way, are point guards, but they'll be asked to run the offense, and Jackson will still get plenty of burn overall. Um, Duke's going to get a nice little test here from Florida. I do think they'll win with some ease, specifically if like if you know if Tatum and Bolden were able just to knock the cobwebs out against uh, just a dominating win over Maine. Um, maybe they can really start to get rolling here against Florida. It will be interesting. I'd like to see a close game. Uh, we'll see overall, but the point is they're, they're back on the floor. Don't know when Giles is returning. I mean, listen, maybe it's against Tennessee state on the 19th. Maybe it's against UNLV this upcoming week and no one really knows. Um, but you know, sooner the better because ultimately Duke is Duke. It's a huge name. These guys are studs, future lottery picks, and it's just good for the sport to get them on the floor. Um, so I'm intrigued to see Tatum in person who I, that hasn't happened since I saw him on the AU circuit when he was certainly uh, you know, a, a ter- terrific player. The word silky kind of comes to mind. He's really one of the smoothest prospects I've seen in the past three or four years. So Duke is, uh, is set up here. And if they're able to win big GP, then the conversation continues to be very fun because you'll have Duke, Innova, Indiana, Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, all these teams, Baylor, Gonzaga, rightfully just in the mix in terms of 
winning, beating legitimate teams, and looking good while doing it. Uh, one bit of news uh, from Sunday before we get out of here. South Carolina uh, suspended its leading scorer, Darius uh, Thornwell, uh, for a violation of athletic department policy. They still won on Sunday uh, to improve to 8-0, and but they've got a game uh, with Seton Hall. Uh, a week from Monday, it's going to be December twelfth. Like they, they might need to be at full strength um, to 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 be able to get past Seton Hall. Uh, they've got Clemson on December twenty first. They've got at Memphis on December thirtieth. So it's unclear how long Thornwell is going to be out. But uh, if he's out for an extended period of time, uh, that undefeated record might be in jeopardy because um, this South Carolina team can't afford, I, I, you know, against good competition to be without its leading score any more than that 2010 team could have afforded to be without Devin Downey. Shout out to Devin Downey. And, yes, I just did all that to set myself up for Devin Downey. Shout out. I knew, I knew what you were doing long before, man. <laughs> it, it, could have been, it, it was totally organic, man. South Carolina, by the way, South Carolina and St. Mary's, the only teams at this point last year, 23 days in the season, that were undefeated that are also undefeated 23 days at this point of the season. Seton Hall will be an interesting challenge. Carolina's looked I, – I think the South Carolina team is better than the one last year, but Thornwell too. is the key piece. Uh, it's, we'll, just, we'll be critical to see how long he's out. They obviously win with a lot of defense. He's a tremendous kind of two-way player, but what he provides on the defensive end uh, certainly is, is big-time stuff there. So um, we'll see how long he's out. They, they can't if, – if you tell me that Thornwell's out, I, I, I tell you South Carolina isn't a top-25 team in the country. So – um, just something to keep an eye on there. And overall, we, we do have a it's a it's a it's a slower week, but it's, it's still decent. Um, just real quick before we wrap up, like UConn Syracuse, I would have gone to that game at the Garden on Monday night. But UConn's trash. Unfortunately, they just have way too many injuries. It's it's a must win to save their season at this point already. Syracuse should win. That Garden should probably be fun because both fan bases, you know, are all over the city. So that'll be good for them in the building. Hopefully it's a good game. That's really the only game on Monday of any note. Uh, Florida Duke leads Tuesday. There's not a ton else there. Texas at Michigan could be interesting, but Texas, I don't know, both those teams are kind of enigmas. Uh, Texas could go a long way to reestablishing itself within the Big 12. If it can steal one at Michigan, that's a tough, tough ask. And then on Wednesday, you get Xavier at Colorado. Creighton has a tricky one at Nebraska. That rivalry has way more hate than I realized a couple of years ago, but it's it's a it's definitely a really intense one. So things tend to slow down just a little bit here as finals come around. The next two weeks are a little slow, but uh, we'll get surprises. We get them every week. Um, we'll be talking about things on Thursday that we don't even foresee right now because one or two teams might take bad losses we might not have seen. God forbid. Hopefully we don't have any more injuries, but uh, storylines will will pop up indefinitely. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you all uh, for listening. We're going to talk to you again a little later on this week. Till then, take care. <laughs>